think happens to someone after they die? I don't know. Like, do you believe in heaven? I never did. But the whole idea of an afterlife, but now I don't know. So I have these dreams about, about your mom. And we have long talks about you, how you're doing, which she sort of knows, but I tell her anyway. So what is that? It's sort of an afterlife, isn't it? I'm starting to forget her. Yeah, I'm sure we will, Michael. The freedom of speech is being taken away. California. My name is Michael and I'm a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show. A place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light, no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now, streaming on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days and you'll find the 24-7 network. Of course, the podcast version of this program you can find on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, along with Google Play. How fun is that? My guest tonight is Marshall Masters. Marshall is a former CNN Science Features news producer, freelance writer, television analyst, and the publisher of YaoUSA.com. That means your own world, USA. Since 1999, he has been researching Earth changes and Nibiru flyby-related topics, including sustainable survival communities, catastrophic crop circles, impact events, and future technologies. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Hello, my fellow hypnotized minds out there. Welcome back to another edition of the Michael Deacon Program. I hope you stick around and let me deprogram you. Never forget that this is a live call-in show. That means your participation is greatly needed here at times. Hopefully you stay focused and on point. If not, you'll get the boot. I was about to say, we find ourselves contemplating what is ahead. I don't need to remind all of you that lately it's been feeling a lot like 
The end of days. Nuclear war has been avoided numerous times in this country's history. Some believe it may come true. Oh, it looks like Marshall is ready to go. Wow. Let's waste no time then. If he's ready, we should do this now. Marshall, what's going on? Hey, Michael. Sorry for the late entrance. That's okay. I was I was having all sorts of issues with the computer and um, some of the hardware back here. I, I, it's been a really strange night. Oh, man. Sounds like you're having a Microsoft moment. It, 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 big, it really is. Big time. Big oh, time. Man. You know, I learned the secret about Microsoft. You don't use it. You administer it. Ah, uh, yes. Sadly, that that's the case. I was just about to say that nuclear war has been avoided numerous times in this country's history. And some people believe that we're going to see a nuclear war pretty soon with all these nations, uh, all this conflict within other nations. It seems to be escalating, Marshall. You know, especially with North Korea, uh, one of the things Ed Dames, Major Ed Dames, a remote viewer, talks about is he said that is going to be one of the Planet X harbinger signs that we're going to have a nuclear attack from North Korea. And that does not bode well for people living along the west coast of the country. No, not at all. That's pretty frightening, to be honest with you, Marshall. And earlier I was just saying you weren't going to be on the program, and now here you are. Yeah, well, we just have been dealing with some difficult issues on this side. It happens, yeah. So, Marshall, before we get into anything, um, let's, let's start with your background here. For those who don't know who you are. All right. And... um I'm a, in the 1980s, I was a CNN science feature producer. Uh, the CNN I was involved with back then was a lean, mean news machine. Today it's, <laughs> it's like Pravda American style. Um, so I'm not terribly impressed with it, but, um, I come from an analytical background. I was in the computer industry. I was a systems analyst and did that. For many years, um, and then in the process of that, had a travel business to Russia, and that's where it really launched for me. Because in the 90s, I was going over in December and flying back in January, and going over was always at night. But on the trip back, flying an Aeroflot over the polar route from Moscow to San Francisco, I had a chance to see the deterioration of the Arctic. And when I first saw it, it was just stunning. It was so, so beautiful. You know, I had never seen blue ice in my entire life. I grew up in Phoenix, you know, in Phoenix, blue ice, you went to 7-Eleven, mm-hmm. <laughs> put some ice in a cup and some syrup, vada boom, That's hilarious. you had blue ice, you know? And, you know, and when people would talk about flat earth theory, I could, you know, I saw the curvature of the earth, so it's really kind of hard to buy that, but. You know, that's funny that you mentioned that because I get uh, quite a few uh, emails from folks who keep asking why I don't bring anyone in, um, any quote-unquote experts on the flat earth on the program, and I just, I'm not going to waste my time in responding. Yeah, I can understand. I mean, I don't understand. I don't see where they're coming from because I have seen the curvature of the planet, and you know, when you fly the Arctic route, you're going to see that like I did coming across. And, but more importantly, what I saw profoundly disturbed me because I saw the steady deterioration year over year. I did this for several years, same schedule. Cause 
I had to go do my business at that time of year. I had travel, and that was when I went to go get, you know, all of my arrangements set up for the season. And right. by the time I did my last trip at 98, the first one was um, 93. The last one in 98, the Arctic looked like the busted windshield of a car in a wrecking yard. And I'm looking at that, and I remember sitting in the flight and thinking to myself, they're telling me that I'm a tree hugger. Oh, well, no. I think I'll believe my lying eyes. I got to figure this out. And so I got together with a couple of friends in Mensa and we started studying it. And, you know, is there global warming? Is this really happening? Cause that's what I was seeing. And what we actually determined was that what was happening to earth was also happening to every other body in our solar system with an atmosphere. And that was the path by which it led me to Planet X. You know, people you know, wonder, how did I find Planet X? And I can tell you, right. I walked straight backwards into it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how these things happen. And um, we were looking for a causality because it was obvious that all of the planets were reacting to a change in the sun. But what was causing the change in the sun? Because there was nothing in the history... And admittedly, though, we only have uh, a few hundred years of history on solar observations, but that's true. There was nothing to really explain what we saw. And then came the question, well, are we looking at an interloper, a perturber? Is there something that's causing that? And is it a rogue object or is it in a captive orbit around the sun? And we determined it was a captive orbit around the sun. And then at that point, we were really going. And I have to say, you know, I I came at this very skeptical to uh, paraphrase Sergeant Friday from Dragnet. Just the science, ma'am. Just the science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so we what really did, there was a, a probe that was a polar, circumpolar probe of the sun, NASA, and they were studying the sun's northern and southern hemispheres. We saw the data come in, and what was patently clear was that the southern hemisphere was far more active than the northern hemisphere, and particularly into a direction that would coincide with an object in a long-period comet-like orbit coming up from the southern skies. And for me, that was actually the smoking gun that I was looking for, not the observation. Uh, it was, you know, is there absolute evidence that our sun is responding to something? And over the years, that's really led to the fact that we have a two suns in the sky situation. We live in a binary star system. That's true. That's not unusual. Ninety percent. Of the uh, solar, ninety uh, percent of the systems in our galaxy have multiple suns. So why should we be the one in ten? Because there's really nothing that suggests that that is the case. Not when you look at our tilted orbit, the tilted orbits of other planets, and the fact that you know we're we're going into the age of Aquarius, you know, that old song, Age of Aquarius. Great song, yeah. Well, we're going backwards into the age of Aquarius, all right? And 
they have to keep recalibrating it because uh, the pace is always changing. So, I mean, there's things that just give pause to credence for a single sun system. But what's more likely is that we're in a multiple sun system where our soul has a smaller twin. And that happens to be a brown dwarf star called Nemesis. And I'm old enough that I remember when I was in high school. Nemesis theory was the rage of the day, the possibility that we live in a binary star system. And also there was a tremendous amount of superb reporting in the media about this, and there was a very vibrant conversation. But all of that died in the early 90s with the death of Robert H. Harrington, and he was a U.S. Naval Observatory chief astronomer, and he had written a brilliant paper on Planet X and had given an interview on Planet X to Zachariah Sitchin. And, I was uh, just about to mention him. Yeah, and Zachariah, uh, the two of them appeared together, and he was saying, you know, the same thing that he, Zachariah was, that this is in a comet-like orbit, but that it's clockwise, not counterclockwise, and that it spends most of its time in the southern skies. When it comes up across the ecliptic, which is the plane of our solar system, easy way to th- Imagine that as you're in space and you're looking at the equator of the sun and then stretch it out to the 12 constellations of the zodiac. That's the ecliptic. We're 23.5 degrees tilted relative to that. And he, you know, he was talking about it. He wasn't the first astronomer in the last century to talk about it. Uh, Chilean astronomer Carlos Muñez Ferrada first announced the existence of Planet X and Nemesis in 1940 and published consistently on it over the years. Uh, what happened was Harrington had a special telescope constructed for a Planet X sky survey, and it was sent to an, a, a U.S. government-controlled observatory in New Zealand, The observations were made. The films were returned. NASA saw them first, immediately buried the films. No one ever could see them. And then afterwards, Harrington mysteriously dies of a rapid onset cancer that has been known to be used in targeted assassinations. After he died, all of this vibrant conversation about us living in a binary star system went off a cliff died. Boom. That was it. Just died. And there has been continuing suppression on the topic ever since. Now, what are we really talking about? We're talking about a mini constellation, a solar system inside of a solar system, if you will. And at the core of the Planet X system, as I call it, and Planet X does not mean Planet 10. Planet X is a term coined by the astronomer Percival Lowell, who founded the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, shortly at the beginning of the last century, specifically to locate Planet X, which was they were looking for the object that was perturbing the orbit of Neptune. And Tom Baugh discovered Pluto in 1930, and they thought they had found Planet X, yeah. the perturber of Neptune. 
But it turned out once, uh, Nept, you know, the Sharon, the moon of Pluto was discovered that they were able to do the math and determine that Pluto is actually rather puny. It's only about 60% the size of our moon and therefore did not have sufficient mass to be Neptune's perturber. So the search for Planet X continues. Cool. And by the way, NASA's um, Jim Green calls it Planet Nine. Well, they call it Planet Nine. They do acknowledge it, however. That's that's the important thing. Well, they had to do something. You see, they had this, to. Yes. Well, what really the story here, and I reported it exhaustively on our website, was that this actually began. In, I believe, Chile, there were Chilean astronomers at a very large array telescope. And they were, they found two objects at the, you know, in the region of the Kuiper Belt, which is far out there. And they said one was a planet several times the size of Earth. And the other object, they theorized, was a cold brown dwarf star. Nemesis is a brown dwarf star. And these are actually very common stars in our galaxy, more common than that of our own sun. But they're very dirty, very difficult to observe, which is why the discovery of them is fairly recent. And what happened is that these astronomers published papers and uh, they were trying to do good science. They were saying to other astronomers, hey, uh, Here's our observation data. Let's start all looking together and see what, see what we see. Well, the minute I read that they said that they found a very cold brown dwarf, I knew that these guys were going to get hammered without mercy. And that's exactly what happened. Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, second richest guy in the world. Right. Uh, total, you know, PTB sycophant. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the Washington Post led the campaign to brutally humiliate these astronomers. And there was tremendous amount of political pressure brought to bear. And they had to, uh, remove their, their, you know, their papers from publication, not at the speed of science, but at the speed of politics. And then after they had suppressed that story, and there was a lot of resentment out there. Yeah, and Marshall, let me just stop you there. Can we talk a little bit about this suppression? Being that you were involved with CNN, can can we briefly mention your time there? Sure. I was a science feature field producer. I covered the universities and colleges in Texas. And, uh, my, you know, what I did was I would go out, uh, research and, uh, locate potential story ideas. And I would, you know, on a routine basis, few t- several times a year, I would fly to Atlanta, present the packages and we would do them. And, uh, these were three minute features. This is back when CNN was doing investigative reporting. They don't do that anymore. And I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, I look back on it as a wonderful time of my life. I was very excited to be involved. I, you know, I, I could remember walking down the hall and seeing the door to Ted Turner's office open and peeking in and there was Ted, you yeah. know. Um, he was, uh, 
you know, at that time, CNN was still on its money losing stage, but, um, that didn't slow anybody down. They were, they were doing fabulous news. It was, it was a true honor to be involved with that organization at that time. The CNN of today, I, I, I agree with Larry King. They ought to change their name to the Cartoon News Network. Oh my. Now, when you were there, did anyone ever tell you what you could and couldn't report? Well, no, they would say what they would, you know, if they were interested in a story or not, and which is how it works. And so you would go in and say, fine, I have, you know, this professor here and I have this professor here and they have something interesting. Um, one of the stories that I did that was the most remarkable thing in my life was the Bracken Bat Cave. And that is the single largest concentration of mammals in the planet. And um, it's a bowl, and then the cave is off to one side of the bowl. And we went down in the cave with protective gear. And uh, But then the bats come out, and they swirl around the bowl and spin up, you know, up, you know, way, way up into the atmosphere. And they fly off in every direction. This is in Austin, and these bats were flying as far off to the Gulf Coast. And... I'll never forget it because they were coming out and they're flying in circles around the bowl, gaining altitude. And I stood in the bowl and I just held my arms straight out, facing the bats coming at me head on. My crew were terrified. They were hiding behind cardboard boxes. <laughs> but I just stood out there as thousands and thousands of bats were flying right at me and around me. I could feel the air beating from their wings. I could feel the warmth of their bodies. Not one of those animals ever touched me. You know what's a strange, Marshall, just on a side note here? Randomly, my mom told me about watching some sort of bat documentary last night, and she told me that today, and now here you are telling me about bats. Yes. That's, yeah. that's remarkable. Synchronicity. At big time. Synchronicity. Oh yes. Yeah. I find that is something that, uh, more and more occurs in my life. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I come across something and I, I, a riddle, a puzzle. And instead of going, Oh, I've got to answer this right now. I've got to answer this right now. I've learned, you know, if you got something, you haven't figured it out, put it in a canning jar. And set it on the shelf. Eventually, the universal facts you will label. Slap it on, bada me. And I agree. Very fascinating stuff, indeed. And, uh, Marshall, just going back to um, CNN and, uh, and other news outlets, what exactly do you think about the mainstream news today? Is it dead? It's dead. Well, it's not. Is the integrity uh, of mainstream media dead? Mainstream media is, you know, electronic media. What happened was, and this was a creation of actually the Republicans. I am, you know, I'm independent. You know, I vote none of the above. I, well, right, I so. agree, Marshall. Just let me make this clear to you because I'm not sure if you know where I stand, but I'm not exactly liberal enough to be liberal and I'm not conservative enough for the conservatives either. Yeah. I'm unwanted. Know, it's, uh, martyrs without a cause. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're lost souls in this game. Oh, that's it. That's the truth. You know, and what happened was, uh, well, you know, you see like Rush Limbaugh and all these guys that are dominating radio. The right wing wackos, yeah. yes. Uh, well, what happened was there was a rule 
that the FCC had for a longstanding rule that sharply limited the number of media outlets a single company could own. Oh, politics, yes. And then uh, a Colin Powell's son was made a political appointee by Bush C by Bush Jr. W. And uh, what his job was to do, because they were really feeling like the Democrats had total control over the media, so they wanted to break the Democratic control of the media. So they had the FCC rescind that rule, and it was you could own as many media outlets as you wanted. So what happened was you had guys like Clear Channel, and they would start going out to different markets, go in, to a station manager and say, uh, here's what we're offering you for your station. Sell to us or we'll grind you to pieces. Take the deal. It's sweeter than what you're going to, what you could sell it for on the market anyway. And then go to the Bahamas, have a nice life. And, uh, then these guys would sell out their stations. And then what these companies would do is go in. And the first thing they did was they would install a black box in the head end of the station so that they could get all the programming from their studio, wherever it was located. And then once they did that, the next thing they did was they would keep everybody in the marketing departments, but they would fire 90% of the news departments, just enough people to barely have some semblance of local coverage. Once they did that, that was the end of competitive media. People were, you know, what you have now is uh, market segmentation that's an oligopoly. So on the far left, you have MS, MSNBC. On the far right, you have Fox. And then like the filling in an Oreo cookie, you have CNN <laughs> pulling up the rest. Yes. And nowadays it's like, who can we trust? That seems to be the question nowadays. Well, I frankly, I think you can't trust them, period. You can't trust anyone, it seems. You can't trust the, you know, I mean, they are fake news. I mean, that's one of the things, I got, to be honest with you, I laugh. I get a big kick out of it because, you know, the, the, these, these corporate media outlets, they're not news media. They're, they're script readers. This corporate, is like corporate raiders, you know, I call them, Marshall. Hmm? Corporate raiders. Corporate raiders. Yeah. You know, this is like in, uh, North Korea, China, or wherever, Pravda. I mean, frankly, I think Russians have got a freer press than we do. Um, at this point, I think you might be right. Yeah. So the media is controlled. We all know that the media is controlled. But, you know, one of the things I talk about, people say, when are we going to see Planet X? When are we going to see Planet X? Well, we're already seeing it. I post videos that I have vetted and uh there are a lot of folks out there that believe that you know when it comes to image analysis that i pretty much set the bar for the work that i do and i bring professionalism to it on the other hand there's a lot of stuff out there that you know it's carpet baggers it's the topic is coming back strong they're jumping on it and uh you see these salacious headlines you know the most, um, um, da -dum, da -dum, da -dum, da -dum, you know, it's like, and people write me, didn't we see that last year? You know, <laughs> and yes. they're repackaging and repackaging and repackaging. But, uh, you know, this is being observed. 
Now, the question is, is right now the object is behind the sun, so you can only see it uh, around sunset or sunrise. And there depends on your location, time of year, uh, chemtrail layer. Chemtrail layer is very, very heavy. That's the reason why my favorite observations are actually at altitude and passenger jets. Those are stellar. And, you know, I've been reporting on them. And yes, the object's getting bigger. So what happens when it's finally getting around to a point where uh, most of the people on the planet are seeing it? All right. Well, that's when you turn on CNN or Fox or MSNBC and you're going to hear the same line. It's just an interesting celestial event. Don't worry about it. It's going to pass overhead. Nothing's going to hit us. Those are both statements of truth. The rest of it is not true in that they're going to say nothing to worry about. There'll be plenty to worry about. But, you know, this is the reason why people, when they ask the question, you know, when am I going to see it with my own two eyes? You know, I hear that question. Yeah, that's the one that keeps, yeah, that's the one that pops up the most. Right. And when I hear that question, I hear people saying, oh, goody, when do I get to die? That's what I, because, hmm. The right question is, the right question is, when am I going to believe that what I see with my own two eyes is a clear and present danger? Right. That's the intelligent question. The people who say, what am I going to see with my own two eyes? I'll tell you what they're going to do. They're going to look up the sky and go, hey, Phyllis, you ever seen anything like that? I don't know. Ralph, that's pretty odd. Let's go turn on CNN. They'll know. They go in, turn on CNN, and what are they going to say? It's just an interesting light show. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And then people are going to go, great. That's what I wanted to hear. Okay. Yeah, and this goes and back then, to who can we trust, Marsha? We already know we are being lied to. Right. But when you hear that lie, all right, that it's an interesting light show, all right, or however they're going to twist it, when you hear that, that is the last window of opportunity to do something. Because the next time they're going to say something important about it is, well, you know, we didn't expect all of these other things to happen, but we've recalculated our models and trust us, it's not going to get any worse than it is. When you hear that, okay, then that window of opportunity is closed. And then when you see news reports, helicopters flying over Dallas-Fort Worth, or over Denver International, excuse me, and there's corporate jets, leers and citations and whatnot, and they're just littering the tarmac like a bad case of the measles. That's the boarding call for the elites because that's where they'll go. And then when we see the boarding call, we know dying time is near. You know, I must so say. Uh, even though the media lies to us and right. will lie to us, if we know what the lies are, we can use them to our advantage. Or we can decide to buy the lie <laughs> and that's it and you'd be surprised you know most people are going to do it most people do not want to know about bad things in the future that's very they true really do not that's true most people are just content with um being on time for work and of course coming home to their favorite tv dinner and favorite television show and that's it yeah keep life predictable yeah, so, sadly, that's most of American society today. Yeah, so uh, I just do what I can for the ones I can do something for. That's really that's really that's all you got. Thing, yeah, man. that's what I do. That's my thing. And lately, I've been talking a lot about 
end time prophecy, do you believe wholeheartedly that we might be near the end days or end times rather? Well, you know, if you just look at what's happening where there's science alone, all right, it's we're going to have tough times ahead, you know, and it's people think it needs to be something really, really dramatic. You know, there was a book that was very, very popular, something actually folks haven't read it. They should buy it and you can get them on Amazon. Uh, it's very inexpensive. One second after by Forsyth and Newt Gingrich wrote a forward to it. And in that there's a scenario, what happens where two medium ballistic missiles and two medium range ballistic missiles with EMP pulse warheads, just EMP, electromagnetic, they go off. And as a result of that, America comes to a screeching halt. And in the end of the book, the death toll, which is totally credible, is that 90% of Americans die as a result of two medium ballistic missiles with EMP warheads launched by a third world nation. That's not good. No, not good. <laughs> and um, so that's how vulnerable we are. That's the thing that people do not want to grasp is our vulnerability. So, you know, we don't need to have something terribly, terribly, massively destructive happen. Something much smaller can set us off. And things are, you know, at that point, it's all downhill. We go south. We go sideways. Um, you know, in Italy right now, they've got a super volcano that's heated up. We have a super volcanoes that are heating up. Uh, when we're talking about earthquakes, here's an example of how our government lies to us. Uh, think about it. When was the last time you heard about an earthquake reported that USGS did not downgrade? Yeah, that's right. Can you remember? An earthquake that the USGS has not downgraded? Can't tell. Yeah. And they're doing that. And, you know, they're cooking the books. So a 6.1 becomes a 5.8. A 5.1 becomes a 4.9 and so forth. So what they do now is they say, well, the number of earthquakes, major earthquakes, magnitude 5.0 and above, it hasn't changed. Well, they've been cooking the books. So, of course, it hasn't changed. All right. So when we do it, when we look at it, we don't, you know, we factor out uh, how they're cooking the books. And we just simply say all earthquakes of all magnitudes, period, all earthquakes of all magnitudes. And, you know, we were told at December 21, 2012, my calendar was nonsense. And anybody who believed in that was a stupid fool and everybody has humiliated them and you know these people have heard oh there you go again dum 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 and everyone is just bashing them bashing them and bashing them well we went and uh, we decided to revisit it because i'll tell you in august of 2012 i was interviewed by national geographic and the producer wasn't very happy with me because he said Marshall, is there a direct correlation between Planet X and December 21, 2012? And I looked at him and I said, nope, it's coincidental. And he said, what are you going to be doing on December 21, 2012? And I said, I predict that I'm going to be making coffee. My prediction came true. That's hilarious. And because uh, 
Yeah, and he's, you know, why, why, why? And I said, because we're not seeing anything that substantiates that this is going to happen. You're going to have precursor events. Things are going to be popping. You're going to have all kinds of activity going on. We're not seeing it. And so, yeah, a couple, you know, we, we started looking at it again. We, in 2015, we decided to revisit it. And uh, one of my really talented researchers, J.P. Jones, we talked about it and said, well, let's see if the Mayan calendar thing really was a big flub. Right. We started going into mm-hmm. the data. Now, the, all of the data leading up to December 21, 2012, the only impressive numbers were the revenues for the cable TV companies that were making a fortune on uh, Mayan calendar programming. Uh, the science wasn't there. The science wasn't backing it up with something that said, yes, yeah, something's going to happen. However, here's the interesting thing. Immediately after December 21, 2012, when we were looking at our data sets, we started, we decided to select two of them, fireballs and earthquake, because those are real key indicators. And the reason why is if you have a, a mini constellation system that's moving in, it's going to be pushing stuff ahead of it, pulling stuff behind it, and knocking things into different orbits, all right? So you're going to see an increase in fireballs. The other thing is if our sun is interacting with its smaller binary twin, then we're going to see a steep increase in earthquakes and volcanic activity. Well, we saw that we've been reporting on volcanic, but we were really focusing on just the two data sets, fireballs and earthquakes. And remember Roadrunner Coyote? Yeah, and uh, how the coyote would get the Acme rocket, light the fuse, and go straight up. Well, our data sets are like coyote riding the rocket, and the coyote is still riding the rocket, my friend. Started right after December 21, 2012, and these two hallmark trends keep going up and up and up and up and up. It's unrelenting. So, what were the Mayans doing with December 21, 2012? Well, good prophecy has two elements, harbinger and event. A harbinger is a non-catastrophic sign that says you're on the timeline of this happening. Now, for the Mayans, that was a given celestial alignment which occurred. The event is what happens when you are on that timeline. And so the Mayans understood. I mean, there's no point in saying the world is going to end on a certain day, and you're not going to know when to prepare for that. It's like, you know, it's pointless. The world's ending all around you, and you go, yippee, the prophecy was true. You know, you don't have time to celebrate. Um, but what the Mayans were giving us was an excellent harbinger sign. And what we what we see is that this proves out to be true, that the data clearly substantiates that we are going we are on the catastrophic timeline of the Mayan calendar, and we are headed towards a major event, period. And I'm not talking about, you know, getting this from aliens who are channeling through my head. <laughs> yes. Okay? Right. I'm not getting it because I have interpreted the Bible in about 17 different convoluted ways. Okay? I'm talking about just the science, man. Just the science. All right. And so, yeah, just on what the science is showing us, 
this is where we're headed. This is where we're headed. And all of the trends are just getting, you know, it's picking up and picking up and picking up and picking up and picking up. But, you know, as long as people right. can go to Costco and the shelves are full, they're going to go, what? What tribulation? Yeah, sadly, that's what it's going to be. Having some microphone for whatever kind of Okay. Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you. And while you're resolving your mic issues, I'll carry on. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. And uh, the so for people today, you know, it really comes down to are you going to want to wake up and smell the coffee? Here's an interesting thing. They just finished a study in Europe. Study in Europe said that of the 2,000 people they tested, this was in Spain and Germany, that 90% of them do not want to hear about bad news. And that when it comes to good news, as much as 70% of them didn't want to hear that either. Nobody wants to know what's coming. They want to stay in their la-la zone. All right? So this is a sad thing because... It really is. The va- Yes. And the vast majority of humanity lives along a major coastline. Now, uh, by the way, have- Marshall, I'm sorry to cut you off, but how do I sound now? Do I sound better? Yeah, you're coming back. Okay, thank God. I, I don't know what happened. Like I said, this has been a very strange night. Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like it. Well, let's keep put that frog back in the cage. No doubt, no doubt. So, yes, earthquakes. I'm so glad you brought that up because, as you know, I experienced a hellacious earthquake back on Easter 2010 out here in El Centro, uh, seven, mm-hmm. 7.3, I believe it was. Was it downgraded? Uh, probably. It was probably 7.4. Yeah. And uh, so you've been through an earthquake. I was through uh, Loma Prieta in 1989. What was and, that like for you? Oh, wakey, wakey, wakey. Um, I was at the time working in uh, South San Francisco, and uh, I was working with a company that supplied laboratories. And so their warehouse was filled with interesting things like a lot of cyanide. And I was parked in front of the main door to that facility, and I was the last one out of the parking lot. And the earthquake for me started with this most amazing roar, like a oncoming freight train. But I'm talking about like the mother of all freight trains. And then comes the vibration and then wow, it hit. And I'm just sitting in my car and I'll never forget looking out and seeing trees flipping back and forth like windshield wipers on a windshield. Seriously. Oh, no, just yeah. That kind of an mm-hmm. arc. And I was in this parking lot and This asphalt parking lot was waves like an ocean, you know. This building was on, this whole area was built on a landfill. (laughs) Dumb luck that. Yes. And uh, I was uh, mortified. First thing I did was uh, I turned off the ignition on the car because, God forbid, I was afraid. I was rocking back and forth that I was really worried that, frankly, the car was going to roll over Mm. on its top. I don't blame you. And uh, then the quake stopped, 
And the next thing I knew, the doors of this building flew open and people were flying out screaming hysterically because every pipe in the place, every conduit, every pipe, everything had busted and they were terrified that they'd be poisoned by all these toxic chemicals in there. And, um, you know, I figured, mm, well, you know, I'll probably survive the aftershocks. Maybe it's time to exit stage left. Oh, yes, those yeah. aftershocks. So Can't I forget uh, that. had, you know, I knew the back way. My apartments were in the southwest corner of San Francisco at the time, and all of the traffic lights were out. I could see fires all over the city and uh, smoke rising into the air and made it back to my apartment complex. Very tall, six stories, but it was more modern construction, very strong reinforced concrete, and uh, went up and was looking for my friends that lived there, and we all found each other and hooked up, and that night there was no power, so we took all of our goodies out of the refrigerators, and we all went to this one guy's apartment and he sang for the opera and had a piano and we came with candles and goodies and we had a they call them was it is it a hurricane party uh hurricane party hurricane party everybody celebrates that they survive ah i see yes that that's what we were doing was we were singing and celebrating i it was one of the coolest nights of my life. I remember that. And, uh, you know, we were just happy to be alive. I don't just blame you. Yeah. And, you know, cause there were a lot of people, a friend of mine was in the Navy and, uh, he was actually stationed on Angel Island and, uh, he was called up and, you know, there was that section of the, uh, bridge to Oakland that had collapsed and, he was there to help with that situation, and you know, he said, I, I could just see the blood just oozing out down the concrete. These people have just been flattened and, uh, you know, like they were in an orange juice press. Jeez. And it was pretty gruesome. Uh, so after that, um, it was a couple of days later that I started having PTSD, and uh I, you know, for a while there, I was going to, you know, lay in bed and look up at the ceiling and, you know, wondering, what would it be like to wear that, you know? Right. Uh, So I can appreciate you went through a major quake. Yeah, Uh, it was terrible. I'm telling you, I'm pretty sure that was a 7.5. Oh, yeah. Golly gee. Uh, That just must have been horrific. It was scary. I mean, I'm still a little frightened about it now just talking to you about it. It was um something I never thought I would experience. I saw cars moving up and down, my neighbors running out of their homes with the look of terror in their eyes. It was truly something else, the the running and screaming and falling everywhere. I truly thought New Biru was just around the corner. Oh, man. Yeah, well, that's what it'll be like when it is around the corner, but... You know, I, I gotta ask you, uh, cause whenever I talk to people who've been in Loma Prieta, you know what the first question that we ask each other is, um, were you on the toilet when it hit? <laughs> you know, luckily I, I wasn't. I was actually outside of the house and. Oh gosh, you were fortunate. I, yeah, I mean, that's probably the worst place you can be, right? No, that's where I'd want to be. <laughs> on the toilet. The house. 
You know, earthquakes don't kill people. Structures that fail in earthquakes do. Well, yeah, that's true. Got me there. Yeah. So you were, uh, count your blessings there. You were pretty fortunate. Yeah, I, I think about it all the time. I'm very lucky. Not everyone was too lucky, by the way. Some people were seriously hurt during the earthquake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's people get hurt in these things. Some people yeah. died. Yes. You know, and it's, uh, you know, people see it on television and, well, it's something that happened to somebody else. Exactly. You never, you, you don't really think it's going to happen to you until it's too late. That's right. You know, and nobody believes in earth changes until a sinkhole eats their car. I mean, and seriously though, Marshall, I really did think Planet X was here when that happened. I could imagine. And we're going to have just, uh, uh we're going to have a lot of that. You know, it's, I think what's interesting is what Ed Dames talks about. You know, back in 2004, I, his publicist sent me a copy of his kill shot video. Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about that for a second. But you know what? Before we do, I, I must say, Marshall, once again, I must stop you. I must say tonight's been a bit of a rattlesnake here, and it, it has that nostalgic 90s feeling in the air, especially since not too long ago it was the 20th anniversary of the Heaven's Gate suicides. Ooh. Oh, yes. Ooh, I know yeah. you remember all of, all about that. And recently I was just in San Diego and my mind was on that, on the Heaven's Gate suicides with, uh, Mr. Applewhite out there. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's like, here, here's your stupid pill. Let's go do it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, I just don't understand how people can throw their lives away in such a frivolous manner. And yes. Uh, even, but, you know, a lot of people are very good with Planet X denial or what's coming. And, you know, they've got all kinds of theories about, well, you know, aliens or God or my ancestors or the Easter Bunny is going to come down and rescue me at the last minute. <laughs> and, um, you know, my strategy is uh, a genuine plan B. Not a plan B that's as if in doubt, refer back to plan A. And that's what denial logic does. It just has a predetermined outcome and people stop thinking, you know, because they have a predetermined outcome. They don't, it's, it's a, it's a very lazy way to, to assess your risks. And if there's anything evolution has taught us is that if you're not resourceful, you die. Correct. And when people cease being resourceful because they believe in a predestined outcome, then they're setting themselves up to fail. And I mean, that's just the way that I see it. And I know it, it probably rankles folks that believe in these predestined outcomes. I don't. I believe that, you know, the old adage, God helps those who help themselves. And I'm not talking about helping yourself to somebody else's. Uh, yes, I'm understood. Talking about helping yourself in terms of, you know, how you are going to use the most precious resource you have for survival. Your brain, you. Very central. Expressive. Yeah. You know, anybody, anyone that teaches survival will tell you it doesn't matter what you have in your kit. The three things that are going to save your life are A, 
the ability to quickly assess your situation. B, the ability to quickly formulate a plan. And C, the self-confidence to take action on that plan, knowing it may not be the best possible plan. That is survival. I'm not talking about five-gallon pails of emergency freeze-dried food, which, by the way, is, you know. That, that's another question, by well, the way, that people, people commonly ask. That. Yeah, hmm? about, uh, that, that's another important question people seem to ask about anytime we talk about these sort of things and people want to prepare, they usually ask about how much food they want to store and this and that. And by the way, there's someone calling in right now. Let's take their call quickly here. Sure. Let's see what's going on. And I believe this is Star. Are you there? Well. Hello. You have hello. a question for Marshall. Yes. Hello, Marshall. Hey, hey. Um, I don't know whether you've been following the earthquake swarm in northern New Zealand, but they're all coming out of the, um, the caldera of the supervolcano up in the North Island, Tapo. Mm-hmm. And they've been going on for several, two or three days now. Um, mostly micro and small quakes with there been a couple threes and fours. But, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I follow the Dutch Sense earthquake updates every night and he's been watching it pretty carefully. He says as long as swarm doesn't increase in size and magnitude, it probably indicates there's going to be quakes on the southern part of the island, probably a little larger, maybe four or five magnitudes on the southern mm-hmm. island. It says the time to start getting concerned is when the swarm increases in number and magnitudes, when they start getting to be fours, fives, something like that, mm-hmm. then there, there might be a problem. And I just wanted to get your take on that. Well, first off, I congratulate you for following this, and you're doing, this is good. I agree, yes. You're you're tracking the earth science, and that for me has become the most important thing. Uh, My focus is Italy. Italy is the Um, canary in the coal mine. Yes. Central Italy has been getting hit, and depending on how the pressure tracks, It'll either go by Greece and Crete and then to Italy or right up and over. But the pressure moves from the eastern Pacific to the west or it crosses the Pacific Ocean uh, to the eastern Pacific. What did I say? Well, anyway, from <laughs> you have to look on the map. But, yes, the pressure is pushing uh that way, and when it doesn't ride up and over, when it follows down south and uh, under Crete into the Mediterranean, then it heads towards Italy. And it's just watching how the pressure moves, you can almost tell when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you something. What are you doing in terms of planning and preparation? Well, there isn't a lot I can do. I, I live in a <laughs> I live in an old parts home. You so see, Marshall. Th- you see, Marshall. This is the issue I hear all the time in um, listeners' responses, their emails. The Star is one of those people. Not that I'm not saying that she's someone who writes me emails about this issue, but lots of folks just like her always talk about that. They always say, "Well, I'm old. What am I supposed to do?" That's right. <laughs> yes. Well, I am an old, person. and I have limited space to store anything. We. We have a fire drill. We don't have an earthquake drill because we don't have that 
many, well, my area, we don't have any earthquakes in Colorado. Uh, they happen, they happen near the uh, fracking zone uh, to the north and the west of me and then down to the south by New Mexico. But that's where the pressure finds release. It isn't the fracking and the oil wells causing the quake. It's the pressure coming through and finding that weakness from the drilling down. And that's why the earthquakes are happening there. Well, yeah, I mean, you're doing an excellent job of observing all of this. But I have another question. When did you first come into awareness? Oh, my gosh. Um, Good question. Quite a, <laughs> quite a while ago, but also I'm one of those cockpit optimists that I'll do what I physically can, but I'm going to have to depend on universe to kind of help me out there, guide me to the right places, make sure I'm at a safe place if something does strike. Um, it's, that's where kind of it takes a leap of faith. So I, I throw that in the mix, too, and hope it works. Okay, but <laughs> you said it was some time ago. What is some time ago? When exactly did you, what was the moment, you know, the awareness question, all right? Let me just explain for the audience here. Let me, hold, hold with me, dear. Explain for the audience. Awareness comes to, go ahead, I'm sorry. Awareness comes to everybody. At some point. In a very personal way. Exactly. But it always starts with the same slippery slope question. What exactly am I looking at? And then what that leads to is your initial moment of awareness, which I call, I have determined a scientific term for it, salmon slapping. You feel <laughs> like a, someone has just slapped you upside the head with a dead salmon. There you are spitting scales and going, what in the hell just happened? <laughs> that reminds okay. me of MIRC. <laughs> so now, dear, tell me, when were you salmon slapped? Okay, I, I was just going to say, I never had the sa salmon slap moment. It just kind of came in bits and pieces at a time. It, I don't know. I think when I was a kid, I kind of had a hunch things are going to ramp up. When I was a kid, it was someday, and now it's pretty soon. And uh I've got food and water. I can't get around that well anymore. I I've got the bed. I have uh, disintegrating disc disease, so it's it's hard for me to get around. So I'm kind of limited. My thing would be to help other people who are totally panicking, at least try to keep them calm down until they can get a, a grasp on their uh, common sense and, and keep them from panicking just by talking to them. I'm pretty, I'm pretty panicked okay. right now, I must say. Star, you want me to tell you Good about Lord. you? Yeah. Okay. You came into awareness when you were a child. Guess what? That's when most of the people in awareness come into awareness is when they're children in some way, shape, or form. And when a child comes into awareness, they don't get salmon slapped just one day. They know what they know. Now, what was the reason why you came into awareness? Well, you said it to help people. You see, the reason for your awareness is not to lead people. The reason for your awareness is that you're going to be a teacher, a mentor, and a comforter. True. And you're going to help people because when things really start getting, when the, when the guacamole is a hitting the fan, okay? And people are going to be going, and all kinds of crazy theories, they're going to be blowing, 
you know, nonsense out their backside, okay, and they really don't know what to do, and they're totally in a panic, well, they're a star. You're going to be the eye of the storm, that little center spot of quiet where people can find a moment's rest, peace of mind, while everything around them is turtling, tearing, destroying. But in that eye, they're going to find some calm. So your awareness is to put you into that situation that, you know, you'll find somehow, some way, if you're able to fulfill your destiny, people are going to be pulling things together. And that's the reason why I believe faith-based organizations are going to be the best ones in this last window of opportunity to organize because they really got the advantage. One, they got an existing chain of command. That's important. They're political. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they're political. But they have an existing chain of command. Now, I see in a lot of uh, survival groups, secular orientation, they're good at building bunkers, buying beans, buying bullets. Oh, yes. Stockpiling. And then they fall apart like a cheap tent. Why? Because in the absence of a clear and present danger, they wind up getting into leadership battles that divide the community, and then they fail. Just fold up. All right? There's an ego problem that gets in the way of the person that has the the clearest, the, the clearest mind. That's right. Now, so what will happen is there you are. You know, I, I mean, you're not going to be sitting there. You know, smug and smiling and go, I told you so. I no, told I'm, you so. Don't do okay. that. You know, if I'm you do not that, an I told you so person. Good. Because if you do that, trust me, someone's going to step up and go, you manifested all of this. And if we hang you by the neck, your manifestation <laughs> will cease to exist and our lives will go back to normal and we can go to Costco. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that that happened in the 1600s. No, thank you. I'll pass. That's right. And so, <laughs> so what happens? You know, boom, there you are. You know what? You know what do you want on your tombstone? I was right. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I won. Right. What did you win? <laughs> so the the thing here is somehow, some way, you're going to help someone who's got to pull together a community. Who says, look, I need to get my flock to safety. All right. That's the reason why I wrote my book, Surviving the Planet X Tribulation, the faith-based leadership guys to help people in awareness. Folks who, you know, you can't afford a mountain of beans. People in awareness, 99 times out of 100, you got big, big hearts and tiny, tiny wallets. Oh, yes. Okay. What's a wallet? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's those... You know, it's, God, that reminds me, it's like, you know, have you ever noticed people when they come out of Costco, they went, I got out of here for less than a hundred bucks. You know, they got that sm <laughs> big smile on their face. Costco but, is a death trap, by the way. Oh, yeah. And uh so the thing here is you're going to be able to help people and you're going to be there at the right moment, at the right time. You know, God willing, it's going to work out. And. You know, you can say, well, in my age, I don't expect to live long, especially if you're dependent on pharma. But the point here is not about living long. The, the point here is about making a difference. Okay. I think it's the difference between quantity and quality, not how many years, but the quality of years you have. There you go. 
there you go. And, uh, and what you achieve in the final analysis, you know, everything I do, Lord knows I am not a perfect man, but when my day comes to face my creator, I want us both to know I kept the faith. One so, more thing on, on perfection and then I'm going to jump off. I don't think we'll ever achieve perfection because once you achieve perfection, what's left? I don't ever want to achieve, achieve perfection. I think it's a, it's continually expanding. Go after you perfect each day and the next day there's more to perfect. And I like it like that. Okay. I'm going to hop off. Thank you very much, Marshall. It was really cool talking with you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, gosh, never want to be perfect. I'd have to go into politics. No, oh, I know, right? <laughs> Seriously. My goodness, indeed. And, you know, she talked about fear and, and people panicking. And I'm one of those people. As you know, Marshall, I'm right here on the San Andreas fault line. Oh, you really can pick them there, kiddo. I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. I'm dead. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm. Well, what side of the San Andreas are you on? Well, I'm right here. I believe, I believe El Centro is about south to north of the city of, um, San Francisco. Uh, so are you west or east of the fault? West. Oh, well, you might wind up surviving to be part of an archipelago. You think so? Yeah, you're on the uplift side. I, I think I'm done. Well, well, yeah. That is if you're sitting on the toilet when it happens. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's when these things happen, it's being mindful, you know, when you're walking around and... You go into a structure, you know where the safe areas are in a structure, and you want to be mindful of those safe areas. And you're thinking about what you're doing. You're just, you're using your noodle. Again, you know, it's, you know, people who are caught blindsided, they don't do well. Remember the 2004 Sumatra superquake and tsunami, and it was horrible. And you look at who did all the dying, all right? Well, folks have a tendency to look down their noses at ignorant natives because they've got cars and college educations, 401Ks, they got money and all that, and they're smart and they're clever. Well, they're the ones who did the dying. The ignorant natives who were sitting around the campfire at night going, when the big turtle shakes his back, head uphill, screaming, feet don't fail me now. And that's exactly what they did. And of the animals that died, it was domesticated animals that died. Wild animals were busy running uphill going, feet don't fail me now. All right. So even in the midst of a horrendous disaster, if you have your wits about you, you have some advantage. The problem is you're along a coastline and during the pole shift, it's not going to go very well for you. But the pole shift comes later. So if you understand the cycle of events that are going to happen, you're going to know when to bust a move. Yes. When and to get out of there. Yes. Okay. And you've been talking lots about Planet X nearing, nearing Perhelion right on mm-hmm. your, on your website there. I've been following that. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating yep. stuff. Yes. Because right now we're seeing, uh, reports that are coming in and, it was an interesting thing. This is something we saw 
in several observations. And a lot of people helped me with my work, and I appreciate that. And uh, what they were saying is we're starting to see a blue tinge. The object's blue. And what I talk about in that article is you have blue shift, red shift, and there's the blue kachina, red kachina. The blue kachina, yes. Right. Well, blue, it, it's Doppler, okay? It's a Doppler effect. And with blue kachina, the object's coming at you, light waves compress, and red kachina, the light waves are elongating, stretches out, and so it's red, all right? And that's what happens. So... A lot of people believe that the Hopi prophecy is talking about two different objects. However, my contention is that they're talking about the same object. Yes, the Hopi. It's just whether it's coming or going is the difference. And so this is what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, we've been tracking it. There's a position that's uh, that keeps coming up in observations from around the world, Spain, at altitude, Brazil, elsewhere, where, you know, around sunset, they're seeing an object at the sun's three o'clock relative to the horizon. And it's getting larger, has been. I reported on that in my Planet Eight, Planet X system update number four, reliable observations. People can see that. Um, so there are folks that are tracking it. There are also folks that are Dancing with clouds. That's what I call it. Yeah, by the way, on, on your website, you had written about some a mother having some sort of dream about Planet X. Yeah, and uh, there was that was an article I published on uh, how do you tell your children about Planet X? How do you tell them? Well, the you know, in there, what I'm really saying is that I put it in the framework of what I call a, you know, a uh, survival wellness advocate. Mm. And I have a book, Survival Wellness Advocacy and the Big Win. You can buy the print edition, but if you go to my site, knowledgemountain.org, you're welcome to download the ebook version for free. And this is really trying, I'm trying to help people who are in awareness with a path of survival. I mean, I hear the wails and laments all of the time. What in the heck is the reason for me to be in awareness if I can't afford bullets, beans, and bunkers? Oh, yes. I hear it again and again and again. Well, what I'm doing is I'm trying to say, look, um, if you can't afford a hill of beans, become worth your weight in beans because there will be communities that will form and organize. There will be folks who will have the resources to do it. I think churches have three huge advantages. I started on that before. One, they have an existing chain of command. Two, um, they have good logistics for disasters. I mean, it can take a church 30 years to drum up money to build a library. But disaster hits three days, boom, their boots on the ground, good to go. And they're out there helping people. And then the third thing is diversity of skill set. And this is... Something, you know, people understate this, all right? And because we are taught to think that people are, uh, what they know and understand is what will it command in the job market, all right? And, but for survival, it's a whole different ball of wax. And you got a grandmother who knows how to grow herbs, make poultices, 
and do all kinds of natural healing things. That is, that's, that's got real mojo, man. I mean, that yes. comes, is strong. That's going to be very essential when, um, right. yeah, when things really hit the fan. That's right. And so churches are going to have that. You don't know. You go to church and, uh, you don't know who's got what skills. You could be sitting there and you may think, you know, it's, uh, well, you know, over there, Fred to your right is a sanitation worker who needs a sanitation worker, but so happens Fred is a ham radio operator and likes talking to people in China by bouncing signals off the moon. One thing I must, I must, um, insert here, Marshall, is as you know, people act very crazy in the times of emergencies. As our history has shown that it's not like it is in Japan where most people aren't looting and rioting. I honestly believe when things really do hit the fan, there's going to be lots of these, um, these, these, I, I guess you can say renegade groups out there that are going to be causing all sorts of chaos. Well, you know, the big cities are the death centers. That's where things are going to get ugly. But you get out in the country and it's a different thing. People that are used to living their lives by being neighborly and helping each other, they'll come together. Yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna have nasties that they gotta deal with, but they deal with that all the time anyway. This sort of reminds me of the movie The Road. Yeah. Did you yeah. see that? In this, yeah, that, that's a hard movie to watch. It really is, right? It is. And yeah, there's aspects of it that are, you know, a bit naive. Well, yeah. But, sure. Um, on the other hand, it really does show the struggle of life. And you know, my motto is surviving the tribulation is not about holding on to things. It's about holding on to each other. Correct. And this is how folks are going to get through. They're going to come together in small groups. You know, we have, we're divided as a populace. We don't know how to, to do it. My whole model that I'm doing for the work that I'm promoting is based on a concept of strategy of enlightened continuity and comfort because me and mine prepping is inherently failed. The reason why is that it's largely based on Cold War sheltering strategies, which are uh, get through the initial event and then after that sort it out as you go along because you're clever people. Correct, yeah. All right. That's not realistic. And then the other assumption is that there is strength in technology as opposed to strength in numbers. Now, all of these premises and assumptions of me and mine prepping have one thing in common. Not one of them is proven. Yep. Not one of them. None right. of these assumptions are proven. And yet this is where people put their money on a pig and a poke. A lot of money, by the know, way. You want to know what's uh what's proven? Look at a map of the United States. We wouldn't be 52 states if you didn't have pioneers with low tech solutions. They were out, they weren't out there in Humvees. They literally, you know, head west looking at the east end of a coxswain for a year. That had to be engaging. And they'd go in large numbers. They'd ford in wagon trains because when danger came, what did they do? Circled the wagons and they'd cover each other's backs. All right. So there is a model of success. American pioneers showed us that strength 
in numbers. And, you know, you don't need strength in technology. You can survive on low-tech solutions. Technology will surely fail eventually, however. Technology will fail. We will come back. We will, you know, I believe we're, you know, we do this the right way. We're going to have a Star Trek future. I hope so. Uh, ah, that's that's what I'm banking on. I'd like to see that. And, uh, you know, there's no guarantees. Nobody knows how long you're going to live. But I'd like to, when it comes time to reincarnate, I'd like to reincarnate into a Star Trek world. <laughs> Me too. And Otherwise, it's going to be an Anunnaki empire, and uh, we're going to be racing around the solar system uh, doing doing our worst, which is what we're doing already. Yes. Yeah. So I don't want to see that future. I want us. I don't want us to be violent stormtroopers. I want to see us going out there in an enlightened manner, so that we're embraced as friends by other races. And yeah. Yeah. That is my that is my hope for us. So we will, um, and I see a lot of that hope, particularly in this new I generation of children, and they're special in a very powerful way because these children, for them, they grew up with smartphones in their hands. Yes. Okay. I mean, when I was a kid, we didn't play with smartphones. We had sticks and dirt clods. <laughs> yeah. Give me a break. Mm-hmm. Okay. These kids. You watch them use a computer, something. I mean, it's just like it's an extension of the hand. They just don't think about it. It's an extension of their hand. You look at their parents pick up the same cell phone, smartphone, and there's these, you know, these jerky, clumsy, damn, I thought that button worked there, you know, kind of movements. And not for these kids. Um, Yeah, when we have conference calls and, you know, I'm sitting there looking at someone and, yeah, they're in their 50s and 60s, Correct. and it's like, how do I get my webcam and my speakers to work, you know? And they're yes. clicking, clicking <laughs> on everything and, you know, <laughs> hoping against hope they make it work. And finally, I, you know, I have to keep, you know, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Finally, they stop this nonsense, and I go, do you have a 10-year-old in the house? Funny you should ask. And so I go get the 10-year-old. You know, five minutes later, boom, everything's working like a charm. Yeah, you never see these people um, using their thumbs either when they're on their phones, I've noticed. Yeah. And so these kids have a natural uh, technology, you know. They're very tech savvy, they'll yeah. They construct things. It's the reason why I say it's not about holding on to things, it's about holding on to each other because there'll be plenty of things laying around to salvage, okay? We'll find all kinds of things to salvage. And folks are going, oh, how are we going to communicate with each other and all that, you know? I can see a time when someone's going to figure out what to do, and next thing you know, everybody's going to abandoned houses and ripping the smart meters off the wall and pulling out the communication circuits because guess what? Those are modified mesh networks, and that's how smart meters work. They just talk to each other and talk to each other and relay the information. So you just someone will figure out how to take that and cobble it together with a bunch of old laptops that survived, and what do you know? You got an intranet for a community. I mean, there's going to be all kinds of innovation. People are going to do amazing things, and 
Uh, my, I, I created Knowledge Mountain Church of Perpetual Genesis specifically to help folks in awareness help others in the tribulation. Yes. And I take a, you know, the strategy and the church is based on three precepts. That's it. That's the whole thing right there in a nutshell. Three precepts. And they are self-sufficiency, knowledge, hope for the future, and knowing you're not alone. If people have those three things, self-sufficiency, knowledge, hope for the future, and they know they're not alone, they're going to do amazing stuff. Oh, yes. So, Marshall, what happens when Planet X gets near Perhelion? Well, it's going to be a lot more visible. And... You know, it's hard to say how this is going to, you know, everybody always wants to know when, 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 you don't know when the heck it's going to arrive, but you know it eventually will. True. Okay? Yeah. And so it's the same thing with Planet X. So if we know it's going to arrive, then do something to get prepared for it in whatever way. And, you know, everybody wants to go out there and they have the big major solution all at one time. I'll tell you what the three leading causes of death will be during the tribulation. You want to know what the three leading causes of death will be? Sure, Marshall, tell us. Denial, procrastination, and location. Oh, yeah. Those would be the three leading causes of death. Yeah, and you know, Marshall, once again, I must say, I'm below sea level here where I live, and I'm not far, not too far away from the Salton Sea. Oh, yeah. Yes, oh, so yeah. you know all about that, yes. And, and they say once the big one hits, oh, the flood is gonna, is gonna just, overtake all this land all the way up to the Salton Sea. And for those who aren't familiar with the Salton Sea, oh my God, I, I just, just Google that whenever you can and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And they're getting ready to spend billion, you know, millions and billions of dollars to create new, what was that? Uh, yeah, lake channels or something yeah, like that. They're going to spend $383 million for uh, the shrinking salt and sea. They're going to try to preserve this bad boy. Yeah. Well, stupid is as stupid does. It, it really is a stupid plan in my, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, it's a waste of money. Waste of money. I mean, you know, you got schools at the roofs, you know, the roofs are caving and leaking and <laughs> they're going to go out, save a few sand dabs. Okay. Yeah. By the way, Marshall, have you ever heard of the movie The Salton Sea? No, I haven't heard of it. I've been to the Salton Sea when I was a young lad. I had my uh, godparents lived out there. Oh, Lord, yeah. are you serious, yeah. Marshall? Pardon? Are you serious? They lived out there? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, well, they got a hell of a deal on a house. <laughs> well, I mean, you can get a very cheap house out there, no problem. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a night. They have very nice houses. That's I'm not saying that the quality is cheap, but you'll get them from for a very cheap price because of, like you said, location. That's it. That's it. By the way, Marshall, if you do look up that film, it's very dark. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, as you know, there's there's a bit of a tweaker problem or meth problem out there in the Salton Sea. Uh huh. Yeah, that's what the the film's kind of about. Oh. That's, How uh, lovely, right? Lovely, 
Lovely, lovely. Very accurate, yeah. though. It's it's kind of true. This is a kind of a wild man's land out here. Yeah. Sounds like a Russian film. Good Russian films. You know what makes a good Russian film? What's that? He gives everyone an excuse to get falling down drunk. <laughs> Val Kilmer is in this film, by the way. Oh, oh. There you go. Oh. There you go. There you go. There you go. You know, since we're speaking about movies here, since I got you on this on this tangent, did you see the movie uh, The Arrival? Haven't seen it yet. It's at the top of my queue. I'm looking forward to it. So, no spoilers. No spoilers. Okay, no problem. Yes, that's a movie everyone's been hyping up lately, and perhaps you might enjoy it. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I want to say it's like uh, Hollywood sure did a U-turn when it comes to, I can remember back, with, you know, E.T., the extraterrestrial phone home, and aliens mm-hmm. were cute and friendly, and now they just want to eat our faces off, you know? It seems like it, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, actually, I've been doing a lot of work for my own podcast with uh, free research, which uh, was started by NASA astronaut uh, Edgar Mitchell, last man to walk on the moon. Oh, yes. And uh, what they're finding is that um, the uh, uh, most of the species out there are benevolent. And we're really getting sold a bill of goods. The experiencers, uh, are, are by and large, by a huge majority, reporting positive experiences. And, uh, you know, this is, this is not what is, uh, you know, the perception. And the, I think it's part of this controlled media thing that's going on in general with the corporatist media. Oh, yes. Yeah, and uh, they, you know, there's an agenda. Look, the agenda is really simple. Um, the elites want as many people to die during this fl- coming flyby as possible. They want maximum death toll because they want to thin the herd so that it's easier for them to control the survivors. And that's what it's really all about. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that, yeah, people don't want to hear it. Yeah, there's That's a lot the of things. Yeah, there's lots of things people don't want to hear. And speaking of which, it seems like the Donald Trump administration can get away from lots of things they don't want to hear in terms of the Russian leaks. You know, Donald Trump, his situation reminds me of that old joke. You know what the last thing is to go through a bug's mind when it hits your windshield? What's that? It's butt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And, uh you know, I mean, he came in with all kinds of high hopes and uh looks like Washington is uh not interested in accommodating him. It really and, seems like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of kind of sad. Um this is interesting though, I must admit. I I didn't think he would actually win, yet here he is in this um political masquerade as I'd like to refer it as. Yeah. Well, we're going to see how it goes to me. I don't follow politics all that heavily anymore because I, I kind of see it as a, you know, deck chairs on the Titanic. I agree. Well, we all know they're both lying. Yeah. It's yeah. all they do to us, Marshall, just lie constantly. Yeah. And, you know, that it, it's distraction, really. And uh, so people cannot draw a good, clean bead on what's really important. You know, of course. The things that they really need to 
be aware about. And, you know, while, you know, everyone's distracted, uh, it's pretty easy. It's, uh, uh, it's just their tactic. It's their tactic. And unfortunately, you know, I have to be honest, uh, it's a fait accompli. They've already succeeded. And there's, you know, as much as I do and I try and, you know, get knowledge out there, I understand it's, there's just a few that I reach and that's about it. That's about it. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you on that where everyone's bought and sold nowadays. Yeah. That's the, the reality of the conundrum that we face. Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. Yeah, it really is. So let, let's tie Ed Dames into all of this. As you were saying back in 2004, the kill shot. Yeah. Can you give me just a sec? Oh yeah. Go ahead. Do what you got to do. So yes, folks, we are talking to a Marshall Masters here live on the air and I'm using a bit of a replacement system here. This microphone was starting to go in and out the audio that is. I'm not sure what the hell happened there. Luckily, Marshall was able to keep talking there while, while I was able to fix the issue here behind the scenes. And now Marshall has gotten up and, and left the room. So who knows what's going on with him. Hopefully everything works out there for him. I do want to remind all of you that we are live here on the air over the TuneIn radio app. Good times. By the way, I was asked about Peter Robbins. He was supposed to be on the show. However, he's another guest who disappeared. We don't know what is going on with Mr. Robbins. Also, another little, oh, is that you, Marshall? I'm back. Ah, okay, perfect. And you wanted to talk about Ed Dames. Ed Dames, yes. He remote viewed something that you brought up recently, and Ed is someone you've mentioned quite a few times on your blog. Yeah. Uh, Yowza, you know, USA. Yep. I, I like it. And, Me too. Uh, you know, some people don't though. Oh, there are a lot of people that don't. Some yeah, people don't, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he dodged conversation on Planet X for many years. And then finally he had his swan song presentation in Las Vegas last August. And then he's just came right out and said, it's real and we're going to see it November of this year. And it'll be as big as the moon in the sky. And, you know, not only did he say that this would be the year that we see it, uh, Bob Dean, whistleblower, former military, that's where he got his uh, intelligence on this. You know, in 2008, he said, 2017, take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. That's That's, you know... Pretty strong confidence there on what you're talking about. Yeah, it's pretty blind. Yeah, it is. So, um, for me, it's, I just keep plugging through my emphasis right now. You know, earlier we we're talking with Star and she's tracking a lot of stuff and yes, I certainly. call that validation reporting. And I did a lot of it for many, many years. And, you know, for me, it's, uh, there comes a point when you stop validating and start preparing. And that's the point where I'm at. And Ed Dames, uh, makes, you know, a lot of good points. People go to his, the number one reason why I saw people, I attended, um, his, uh, seminar in Reno 
learned remote viewing there, found I had a good talent for it. Nice. And uh, I wanted to find out if this is something that is of useful skill for survival. Mm. And no question in my mind, it is exactly that. And it's well worth whether they take a course from it or someone else. Uh, this is a useful skill to have. I like it because it's safer than channeling um, because you're dealing he calls it you're you're going into the matrix. Right. Uh, others could say the Akashic record, but the thing about remote viewing is you're you're not dealing with entities and that can be tricky because if you don't know what you're doing, you could get hooked by a, an imposter that uh, is going to take you into some pretty nasty territory. Yeah, that's what's reported. Okay. That gets reported. And now, you know, in the United States, our intelligence agencies favor remote viewing over psychics. They use both. Yes. In Russia, it's the opposite. The Russians actually prefer the psychics over remote viewing. But he does contract work for the Russians as well as uh, their intelligence agencies and um he does for our intelligence agencies and, you know, he has to walk a tightrope as to what he says and what he's prepared to do because he's probably signed more non-disclosure agreements than he can care to remember. Oh, yeah. And, um, so no he doubt. has to be careful about that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, he, the reason why he waited until his very last, you know, presentation uh, to just say, yeah, it's real and we're going to see it and it's going to, it's going to be a bad situation when it comes through was it was his last presentation. And at that point, if he's not actively out there beating the drum and talking about it, then, you know, for the people that would be miffed about him being honest and he was a little too honest. He said some things that, you know, Probably, uh, you know, I, I was mm. wondering, you know, <laughs> interesting. Is he going to wind up eating a nine million? <laughs> is and, he going to end? Yeah, yeah. Is he going to end up I'm missing? Somehow? I'm not making a joke. I'm not making a joke. Yeah, I understand. Wow. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, he came out. He was pretty straightforward. Uh, he's talking about, um, the kill shot and when he did it in 2004, um, what he was talking about in 2004 was that this would happen when a large planet comes between the Earth and the sun. Well, what he saw is what my research is showing, what I talk about in my books, is this is when Nibiru is going to it's the outermost major planet of the Planet X system. And when Nemesis is passing between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter, Jupiter it's going to be yeah. passing between the orbits of Earth and Venus. And that is when the biblical prophecy of the days of the darkness. The days of darkness, Earth. right. So that is, you know, um, I treat the Bible as a wisdom text. I don't weigh it more or less compared to others. Uh, but I find that there is a tremendous amount of wisdom in there about what's coming, specifically Planet X. It's it's a very powerful Planet X preparatory, and a lot of people, I think, underestimate that. Now, during the days of darkness, do you think people are just going to lose their minds, Marshall, in fear? Well, there's going to be a, 
during this time, there's going to be an event which uh, the ancient Egyptians talk about. Uh, there is going to be massive fear. Uh, this is the last two flybys were uh, Exodus, actually the last three, Exodus, Atlantis, and uh, Noah's flood. And when this, when it appears in the sky and everybody can see it, and what the Colburn says is, which is exactly what is happening, is that it dances around behind the sun, you know, coming in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, and in and out. And then all of a sudden, one day, boom, it comes out for God and everybody to see. And when this happens, uh, it's called the ancient Hebrews and the ancient Egyptians call it the destroyer. Mm. Uh, the ancient Celts call it the frightener. Uh, the Atlanteans called it Herculibus. The Sumerians called it Nibiru. Um, it's also been called the Red Dragon, the Red Planet. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of different names for it because it threads itself through uh, the folklore and history of the world. And But the Colburn Bible is very specific. It says that when we see this, uh, it will create so much fear that, Men will become impotent and women will become infertile. Now, think about the times in which this was written. Back then, uh, people didn't live far past their thirties. You know, mid thirties was, uh, typically when people passed. So when you're talking about men and women having reproductive issues because of fear, you're talking about something that literally is able to scare the sex out of a teenager. Oh, yes. I'm not saying this to be funny. Yes, understood. I mean, think about it, you know. Something so frightening, it scares the sex right out of a teenager. That's uh, As, something else. Yeah, and that is what's, you know, that's what we're going to face. And then people are going to, uh, there's, as this is going to be a period of time when, a lot of people are just going to die of fright, literally die from fright. By the way, the the Cobran Bible manuscript is supposed to be, what, 5,600 years old at least? Uh, 3,000. 3,000? Actually, the first part of it, which is the uh, bronze book, was originally the Egyptian great book. And this was written in the days following the Exodus. It literally was their uh, 9-11 report. You know, they're trying to figure out mm-hmm. how did how did these people, you know, kick our butts. All right. <laughs> That's what they were trying to figure out. And uh, their notion was to actually uh, they went out throughout their entire trading realm. And scribes would do the normal business of the empire during the day, counting bricks and paying for things. But then uh, in the evening when things settled down, that's when they would begin uh, interviewing the elders of all these different uh, cultures that were within the, their trading realm and uh, getting a lot of history and ideas from them because – what they were wanting to do was to actually determine how to contact not the God of the Hebrews, but the God above the God of the Hebrews. And they were unable to do that. But 
the great book, much of it survived because the ancient uh, Phoenicians were had, uh, at this time, it was the end of the Bronze Age, and England was the Saudi Arabia of tin, hard to find. And uh, they would, you know, go up to, uh, they'd go to England, Great Britain, and they'd pick up tin and then trade for things that they wanted up there. Papyrus was a big demand item, for example. Yes. And uh, they had translations of the ancient Colburn, the the ancient manuscript, uh, the great book, and it was translated uh, from hieroglyphics into the um, Phoenician language. Now, people don't know that our language, our alphabet, is based on that. It certainly is, yes. And so uh, the Celts really embraced it. They really liked it. And then uh, the uh, monasteries came under attack and uh, because the Celts at that time did not accept the Holy Trinity. They just believed that Yeshua was uh, an ascended master, a divine teacher. And so that and other issues made them politically unacceptable. And what happened was a good amount of these manuscripts were destroyed. However, the uh, ancient Celtic priests uh, in the Abbey, in the Glastonbury Abbey were able to make their way and um, they salvaged what they could. That is what we have. It was secreted away by ancient Scottish societies and uh, it was translated from uh, the Phoenician into ancient, uh, into uh, Old English uh, or Elizabethan, Elizabethan English. And then uh, after World War One, it was then updated to the Queen's English. And uh, the version that we publish is has it's the uh, it's that latest version. Uh, what we did different was to make it a little more readable. We applied uh, the Chicago style book for grammar rules, so um, it's the punctuation and so forth. It just makes it easier to read. Uh, and I added a citation system to it, and so people can collaborate and talk with each other. So it's a very very a wonderful ancient book, and it has uh, accounts of the last flybys of Nibiru, or the Destroyer, as it's called, yes. by ancient Egyptians, and that read like man on the street interviews. I mean, there's nothing, no, this is no nonsense. You know, the pretty princess shot the arrow in the sky, and the upty, <laughs> upty, upty bad lord, you know, came crashing down or whatever. Don't, none of that. You read this, and it's like reading Newsweek. It's that that prescient, and uh, it really does get through to you. And you know what they're telling us is that we're there's uh, we're going to go through a period called winnowing, and what the winnowing is is that. Um, Literally, what is it, whatever is in your heart, your temperament, uh, that's going to be amplified a hundredfold by this mm, event. I see. Because everything is, 
everything around you. You're going to feel the earth stop. You're going to feel and change direction. You're going to be in absolute pitch black that is unimaginable. I mean, everything is going to be the earth trumpets, the earthquakes, everything. This is going to be horrendously, horrendously horrifying. And, you know, if you're someone that has a fear-based existence, me, 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 and you're selfish, well, you're rooted in fear. That's what's in your heart is fear. Yeah, you may express it as anger, greed, whatever, but that's all. There's just two human emotions, fear and love. Everything else is a pastel shade of one or the other. And so if your heart is dominated by uh, fear, then that is going to be amplified many fold. And what will happen to these people is they're going to flicker out like dying light bulbs. Boom, done. And um, on the other hand, you're going to have people who are very loving people. And I'm not talking about folks who are going to be, you know, crowding in the churches and singing in the pews as loud as they can. Right. Uh, I'm talking about little old ladies. All right. Kind of like, well, star. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're just going to gather together a bunch of orphans and say, okay, kids, let's sing, you know, nursery rhymes. The itsy bitsy spider and so forth. And to calm them down, and she's doing that for love. She's going to get those kids through. They're going to survive, okay? Not the ones that are out there, you know, going, hey, God, I did it. I did all the checklists. I did everything I was supposed to do. Come down here and, you know, bail me out. You know, that won't work. That won't work. So folks are going to have to uh, – find they're they're going to have to you know become centered spiritually to survive this it's going to be absolutely essential to surviving what's going to come you know the elites will be underground and they'll survive because they will you know sure they're going to be experiencing all those things but they're going to be stoned off their keisters with what drugs and whatever else is necessary to help them like okay so Everything's upside down and inside out. Groovy. You know. You know, times like this. Toasted on, you know, on Prozac and whatever. (laughs) They won't care. Times like this, Marshall, I wish we really did have the technology to have a time machine. Interesting notion. Yes. If we had a time machine, what would you do with it? Well, of course, I would go back into our remote past and see about all these, all these uh, biblical stories that may or may not have happened. It'd be interesting to see for myself if these things took place. Yeah. I'd be reassured about a lot of different things, I'd say. Yeah. Well, folks would do that. If I had a time machine, I'd want to go back and visit my relatives I'd never got to know. And one other thing, I'd want to see Billie Holiday perform live. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, there's lots of different things for sure to check out. But, yeah, Billie, Billie Holiday, that'd be great. Yeah. So... I mean, that's what I would do. As far as it goes for the rest of it, I don't need the validation. Yeah, I've I've done the validation. I know what's coming. I see. I'm just like many out there who used to believe that I would find most answers that plagued me to um, this big puzzle. Um, I I used to think by a certain age I would find all these answers, but I'm learning that the universe is infinite, Marshall, and that's just not going to happen. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, it was like, was it star said, you know, who wants to be perfect? That's true. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, there's always something new to learn. The more you know, the more you know what you don't know. Correct. So Marshall, I, I do want to thank you for spending a lot of time with us here tonight. But before I do, I, I did want to talk just a little bit further about certain things. And one of those things on this program, as, as you know, I, I like to talk about the paranormal and um, extraterrestrials. Um, what's your take on that? I think I know what your take is on extraterrestrials, however. Well, they're like us. There's the good, the bad, and the ugly. I agree. Uh, and I think mostly good, because if it were mostly bad, we would already, all of us would have had our faces eaten off by now. Uh, I think we're more dangerous than they are. We could be, not now, uh, but we could be dangerous. But on the other hand, their technology is so much advanced uh, beyond ours that, you know, what we really wouldn't want to do is force them to do something preemptively to eliminate us as a threat and you know for the same reason that you know we we spray our houses with uh insecticides you know to keep the bugs away they're pretty aggressive they know what they're doing but you hit them with the right stuff that's it game over i wonder if they think of us as bugs no i think they think of us as uh a promising young species and the last thing they would want to do is to have to deal with us as, uh, as a hostile race. Not because they couldn't prevail. They probably could. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. No question. Right. But it's, if you're a benign species, you don't want to. I mean, think about when the movie Jaws came out and everybody, that's it. Go kill sharks. And we're, you know, we're waking up to the fact that char- sharks are, uh, vital uh, top predators in the food chain and necessary to maintain stability of the oceans. Very true. But and I'm not getting in the ocean good. with sharks, though, I must say, Marshall. Well, I wouldn't go do that either. I mean, it's just I can respect him as a creature, you know. I mean, it's like I don't think you're going to be able to pet mm-hmm. on one and have it sit on your lap. Of course, be, yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I do understand that. That they serve an important role in the scheme of things. So, uh, eradicating them just because we watched a scary movie is, is, you know, not terribly intelligent on our part. So, you know, for me, there's a real simple thing that's going on. Humanity is at a fork in the road. We either are going to remain a slave species for countless generations to come. We're going to break free of that. And we're going to follow the path of ascension and enlightenment. And um, when we do that, all right, it's a whole new ballgame. Because right now our lives are based on cycle of empire. Cycle of empire is the the goal of the cycle of empire is acquisition. That's the driving force. And it is why empires quickly rise up and then... They, uh, as, as it becomes more difficult to gather resources, the low hanging fruit isn't there anymore, then they start declining. And this is when the elites consolidate wealth and power into their hands 
think about the fact that right now, less than a thousand people own 90% of the world. Oh, yes. Less than nine, less than 100 people own 90% of the world or a thousand people, excuse me. And as you said, Marshall, um, awareness and right now you being on here is the gift of awareness. Most people had no idea about some of these things that we are talking about. So we served our purpose tonight. I would hope to think so. You know, it's oh, yes. uh, making a difference one at a time. And and like I said, in the final analysis, I do what I do because one day I'm going to be standing in front of my creator. And, you know, I want us both to know warts and all. I kept the faith. Very true. Yes, I agree. I just want to see how it all ends, Marshall. That's all I ask for. I guess, I guess I'm a little different. I, I, I kind of want to see the end times before I check out, Marshall. I think it's um, going to be, an, be a, an event. What you wish for. Oh my goodness. Yes. An event you cannot just miss, Marshall. My God. Well, you know, I just, for me, just get up every, each day and do my thing. I live in the moment. I agree. Yes. Always good to live in the moment. Of course, most of us out there have these strange premonitions in our in our dreams all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Of course, I I have a dream myself, Marshall, a reoccurring dream where I see this island Earth being destroyed by those from above. It's it's kind of frightening, and it's been going on for several years now. I must say, it's um probably been about six seven years now that I've had this dream, Marshall, and never changes. Yeah, that's the thing about prophetic visions and dreams. They're like IMAX and they, and you remember every blessed detail. Oh yes. It's, every, every it's very scary. And Marshall, I'm someone who dreams not only in black and white, but also in color. And these are very vivid dreams each time. Oh, IMAX. Total IMAX. Mm-hmm. Are you that way, Marshall? Yeah. 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 No, I mean, for me, these prophetic dreams and visions that I've had, our IMAX experiences, you know. They could even bring uh, you to tears when you wake up. Yeah, they can. Um, At least for me. Can also be, they can also be very, very difficult on you. Oh, yeah. Very, very difficult. And uh, they can really drain you. And but this is, you know, just whatever you're going through, whatever you're dreaming, whatever you're imagining, you're doing that because... That's what you decided to do before you were ever born. That's why you're in awareness. You made the decision to be aware before you were born. I agree. It was just waiting for the right circumstances to come along to trigger that awareness. And uh, that's how it works. That's how it works. And then once you're aware, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle, man. It really it's, is. Yeah. It, it really is. And some people have an issue with that, too, that they don't want to be as aware as... as the next guy as you know marshall lots of people out there are like deer in the headlights completely oblivious to what's going on around them well georgia guidestones say keep the population of humanity under half a billion doesn't say how we get there true you know let's be blunt it's a tribulation and somebody's got to do the dying Mm-hmm. sadly and that's just the way it is that's just the way it is yes yeah the, uh, you know, this tribulation is about one thing and one thing only. Choice. What do you choose to do? And your choices are going to decide. And for a lot of people, what did I say? Three major causes of death. 
Three biggest causes. Denial, procrastination, location. Right. All right. Well, you're not denying, but you're procrastinating because you're still living in a damn bad location. <laughs> yes, indeed. Hopefully not for not too um, long here in the future. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. You know. Yeah, it's a death trap out here, and indeed, Marshall, this is no man's land. That's why I call this the wastelands out here in El Centro. There you go. Yeah, or yeah. as I like to also call it, Hell Centro. Hell Centro. And, uh, you know, I mean, if your idea of planning and preparation is to try and figure out how long you can tread water, well, that's pretty thin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stan Dale recommended I, I get a raft. Or a boat by my, um, inflatable raft by my bed here. I think he's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, my. Uh, yes. So, Marshall, I do want to thank you for being on the program. And before you go, please tell us about, uh, your newest book. And of course, if you have any conferences coming up, go ahead and plug away. Uh, my latest book is Survival Wellness Advocacy in the Big Win. And uh, this is aimed uh, specifically for folks in awareness, helping them find a survival role that will make them worth their weight in beans to a community and so that they can survive and also help their loved ones survive. Uh, you can buy the book on Amazon, but also if you go to my church site, knowledgemountain.org, you can anonymously download the ebook version for free. And I encourage you to do that to see if, this is your cup of tea. Uh, my principal web science, my, my science site is yowusa.com, although just go to marshallmasters.com and it'll get you there real easy. Wonderful. And plug your website, Marshall. The, my website is I published my first Planet X article in 2002. So you can get lost in there with tons of articles. Uh, and videos and uh, the first thing you'll notice about my work is it's original work and um, you know I never really follow what other people are doing because I'm just too busy doing my own thing awesome. and reporting on that and so there's tons of information uh, I have my own podcast cut to the chase oh yeah Marshall yeah. I, I, I forgot to ask you we, we didn't get to cover that at all here L let's talk about your podcast quickly here yeah, you know, I don't, uh, you're on a more regular schedule. My schedule is when it itches, I scratch. Uh, <laughs> understood. And mm -hmm. the, uh, and I really use my podcast principally as a research tool. And there's, you know, there are people doing something that I'm interested in and I want to follow it because it has some sort of bearing on the work that I'm doing or some, uh, field of, uh, research interests that I have. Uh, right now, I've been doing a lot of interviews with Free, and uh, the very first one I did was with Dr. Uh, Edgar Mitchell, and nice. who was the last, one of the last astronauts to walk on the moon. A very fine gentleman, and uh, he started this institute, and um, I really am endorsing and supporting it. Uh, they're bringing a beautiful message of hope about ETs that is sorely needed out there because they're bringing hard science to it. Yeah, there's, uh, there are a lot of people who have written books about ETs that there are scare titles and, uh, you know, what they do is they go out and they'll interview two or three people, cherry pick what they want 
ignore the rest and then publish it so that they can take a fear porn approach to it. Right, of course. These people are really doing good science. They're doing really, really good science. And uh, what they're finding is a whole nother picture. And so I'll be bringing uh, these interviews out over the next couple of months. And uh, so I'm doing, you know, enjoying that. And um, you know, I also, yeah, anything that's basically, I'm just looking for people who have useful information for that is survival related. That's my that's my bag. And then uh, this, there are videos. Um, I did my, I've been following uh, what's and reporting on. Uh, the fireball, uh, statistics that are coming out. And this is really concerns me because, you know, it's not meteors, meteors and meteor showers. It's fireballs. And these are the big things that, you know, burn brightly in the sky. Right. And, uh, also bolides. So we're seeing major upticks in that. And, uh, you know, I, I followed two tracks. One side is the science side that I started back in 2002, my first Planet X article. But I've really, the work is transformative and it really did, uh, as a result of doing this work, I really have developed a very wonderful relationship with creator. And so I saw a need to help people who are in awareness find their inner strength, their purpose of awareness. And that's the reason why I started Knowledge Mountain Church of Perpetual Genesis, knowledgemountain.org. And uh, if you go to marshallmasters.com, you can, you can link to everything I'm doing. Very nice. Once again, Marshall, thank you for appearing here on the Michael Deacon program. Always an honor and privilege to share the air with you, Marshall. My pleasure, Michael. It's been a fun show. Oh, yes. Quite the ride. We'll do it again. <laughs> yes, we'll do it again in the near future, Marshall. We do. I'll send you a triple, triple A triptych, okay? <laughs> ah, thank you, Marshall. Always thank appreciated. <laughs> Take care, Marshall. Okay. Good night. Take care. And that was my guest, Marshall Masters. Great, great guest. Wonderful guy. Always fun to talk to Marshall. And of course, it's now that time to go on a little break. Yeah, a little break. I'm not done yet. I still have some other things to talk about here, and perhaps I'll answer an email or take a call. I'm not quite sure, but I do have some things to talk about here. Don't be scared. I'll be right back. After one of these glorious breaks I like to take, now is the time to go to the bathroom and get yourself something to drink. Round two is next. Stay tuned. The world coming to an end, Mal. The angels, Mickey. They're coming down for us from heaven. And I see you riding a big red horse. Well, not Stan Romanek. Not him, not him. It was Sean David Morton. Oh, God. Can you believe it? In the oh, flesh. Started. In that the guy, flesh. He's got more on his. Oh. He was wobbling around. This is a podcast and not on the radio. <laughs> he was wobbling around. And welcome back to the program, often imitated, never duplicated. Always nice to see so many of you still locked in. Thank you for being here with me, 26 episodes deep. I've learned a number of things being on here, talking to all of you. I've done this for nearly five years now. It's kind of wild. 
I hope you all enjoyed that break as much as I did. I got myself something to drink here. I went to the bathroom, played some music. I enjoyed that music. Did you? I'm very picky about the music. It's got to have a specific vibe, or else it doesn't make the air here. I've got a few things to talk about here on the second half of the program, but before I do, I always like to give a special shout out to all of those men and women in uniform. I see that. Ooh, sorry about that. Wrong button here. Usually during this time, I like to read the stats, the top ten stats here for listeners, the top ten country stats, that is. And of course, I recognize four and five on that list. That's Pakistan and Afghanistan, and I know exactly who those people are out there. My respect to you. I see that you have been. Tuning in more frequently. That's the EOD branch. Look it up. I just want to wish you men and women out there the very best, and I will protect you all in the battlefields. If you're listening to me, you can't lose. You really can't. If you're hearing my voice during battle, you won't lose. I, I promise. Of course, number one, the United States. No surprise there. And the UK is number two on the list. They used to battle it out with Canada over the number two spot, but something must have happened. Our Canadian branch is gone. Number three is Germany. Still, always a surprise to see them out there. Hello to you. And of course, I already mentioned four and five. Number six is unknown. Hmm, I wonder who that is. And number seven is Canada. They have fallen to the lower ranks. I'm not sure why. What happened? Did I make the Canadians mad again? Is that what happened? I hope not. Number eight is India, and nine Japan, and ten the Netherlands. Of course, these are all places I never imagined the show would reach. Thank you all for listening to the show. This show, of course, depends on all of you out there. Never forget. Now, earlier I mentioned that I went away for a little while. I went and spent some time in the shores of La Jolla. A very beautiful place. Oh yeah! If you ever get the chance, go ahead and go out there yourself. There's a lot of things I can say, and a lot of a lot of things I can't say about my journey. It was a great time spent out there. I'll refer to it as dreamland. Now, I did want to mention this little story here that occurred out there. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Now, I must say, I must say that. This might, in fact, trigger some of you out there listening right now. I haven't have always had the best luck in driving out here in Southern California. There have been some locations out here that have been tremendously worse than others. One of those locations is Monterey Park, California. For those who have had the privilege of driving near that area, I think you might know what I'm referring to right now. You are lucky not to get into a car accident driving through that area. I consider you lucky if you made it out of there without incident. By the way, Monterey Park has a huge Asian population. Don't get mad. Now I was making my way out to eat something. I was I was about to park the the car in front of the restaurant in an empty parking space. Two cars were on each side. And of course, I, I took my time to slowly and cautiously pull forward, and just like that, 
just like that, I, I hear a bump and some scraping sounds coming from behind the vehicle. And I see the face of the valet guy telling me to stop the car. He's freaking out. All the other staff is freaking out. I'm trying my best to remain calm and examine the situation. I, I was horrified, to be honest. I did my very best to remain calm out there. You see... I've been driving for a number of years now, and some of those years I was driving unlicensed. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. I know. I had never been pulled over for a legit reason. Two times I have, however, and I don't consider those times legit as one of those times the vehicle slightly matching the one I was in kind of matched that description of who they're looking for, and of course once they... Saw I was not who they were looking for, they let me go, and I went off on my way. The second time, of course, was due to a broken taillight, and, you know, I don't really consider those things legit. I actually consider myself an excellent driver. I would say you are going to be in perfectly safe hands with me behind the wheel. I got you. Now back to the story here. So apparently this woman decided to leave from the sidewalk and into the parking space because, well, she wanted to. And, of course, that is when her bicycle met the rental car that I was in. And, of course, that's when I heard the loud bump and the scraping sound from her bike. I got out of the car, and I saw her slowly walking behind the car, and I look up and down at her and see if she's okay. No damage. However, when I did, I noticed her legs were already kind of beat up as if she's taken previous damage from an incident before. And, of course, my prediction was spot on. She then later said, and I quote, I've had worse happen to me here. I said, wait, what are you talking about? I said, are you kidding me? Then why the hell do you keep riding your bike here, I told her. That's when she sort of smiled and said she was okay and rode off pretty quickly there. Just like that, folks, she rode off, leaving myself stunned. Completely baffled. What the hell was that all about? All sorts of people were looking on. It was quite a scene. I'm so glad I didn't kill anyone. That's all that really mattered. No one died. Good lord. The valet guy then, of course, says he's seen it all. And now he's all calm all of a sudden. What a wild day that was. Asian woman had a death wish. She probably did. I'm not sure. Who else rides their bicycle in a place where you have already been hurt? multiple times and worse. She told me she knocked her two front teeth out there. Again, further proof that she is insane and wanted attention. She wanted to get hit again. It's pretty crazy, right? Some people have a death wish. Some people want to judge you without even knowing who you really are. Some people will blindly judge you and tell you what they think is wrong with you. I tell you not to consider their words at face value as these are people who don't know and understand who you are. We wear three masks, remember? One we share only to those outside in public. Another for those we consider family and friends. Then there's that last one. The one you only see. The one no one else sees. This is vital and everything. Keep that in mind. And you'll never be broken again. Keep that in mind, folks. There were some other things I wanted to say here tonight, but I think I'm going to keep quiet on that and reveal those things on a later show. 
Remember, I've always been transparent with you out there. I'll be here through the thick and thin. They will try to stop me continuously here. However, they are powerless now. Tonight's been fun, right? That's michaeldeacon.com, the Michael Deacon program. If you go back on the website there and check out all those past shows, of course, there, you got to remember this program depends on all of you out there to spread the word, be a friend and share. Of course, I must remind all of you now, if you have any funny impersonations of myself or other listeners that you've heard on this program in the past, please feel free to send those in. Michael end of days at gmail.com. Or if you have any comments or concerns, anything like that, go ahead, shoot those in. Speaking of the website, there's going to be some changes, lots of changes. We are working on a few different things behind the scenes. Who knows what the website is going to look like once it's finished. Also, I'm going to be adding a PayPal donation button on the website. Please feel free to donate. We're happy to get the kind of money that jingles, but rather get the kind that folds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Now remember to keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Like, you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> I never thought I'm here ready because you'll be here for a while. You never know. You never know. I'm going to keep you real. A lot of good content. A lot of cool topics. You know, I, yeah, I feel, you know, fortunate to have an opportunity to speak tonight. You guys are, you guys are really big. Yeah, Mr. Rusev, that son of a bitch. I do not like that, man. It's just the simplest shit. You go in there, you sit on the outside, and then I'll never have to go. You know, you're not going to just for what it's worth, I want to put in my two cents to tell you yet to have had one of the most incredibly well-rounded shows. Uh, other men. Men. 22 years old. Still virgin. Guess what, motherfucker?